is that you and I together over the next several months um, will have as a context for what we study week to week uh, the particular text, the faith verses of the Third Zen Patriarch. And I forgot to bring my book this morning then that I'll suggest that we, I'll tell you that I am working from. And I asked Kika out there to do these for us. And I think accidentally the first verse is not on there. It's, it's supposed to begin, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And somehow in her um, haste to put this together for us, I think we lost it. Kika, if you're listening to what I'm saying, please do not feel badly. Uh, this could be a great Dharma lesson of what happens when you really are under some pressure. But in the meantime, take this with you. I'll bring you the first verse of it next week. Uh, suffice it to say that the first, ver the first line of the first verse in most translations is the great way is not difficult, which means the way to freedom of mind. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And when I, over the years, in the 35 years since I've known that line, I've really come to appreciate it quite in a remarkable way. When I first heard it, I had a sort of cavalier uh, response to it. I have a million preferences. Uh, we all have a million preferences. Excuse me, are there any extra seats? There'll be Yes, I'm sure. And we'll bring more next week. Um, but there are more, aren't there? Aren't there? Yeah, there's a pile of them. When I first heard it, I had a, a fairly cavalier sense of, we all have so many preferences. We make preferences every day in the supermarket about what should I cook tonight. You know, I really do uh, prefer caramel to chocolate. You know, I, I really do prefer Wagner to Puccini. You know, there, we make all kinds of preferences, um, uh, choices. And uh, the, the uh, text that I am going to suggest as a book to go along with this, but if you want to buy it, I think it's really marvelous, is called um, Trust in Mind. Trust in Mind. I got it from Amazon. It's written by Mu Song, M-U-S-O-E-N-G, who's the director of the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. But you don't need to. You can just make do with this paper fine. I'm going to talk about it week to week, and um, so you don't need the textbook, I'll, and I'll bring you an amended verse. Uh, but I want to tell you that the first line in Musang's um, uh, commentary on this really wonderful teaching is, the great way is not difficult for those who are not addicted to their preferences, mm -hmm. which makes the entire difference and makes entire sense in it. We definitely have preferences, not only on the caramel and chocolate, but on everything. And, uh, and it, some things are more dear to us than others. You know, one of the lessons that I had in these two weeks since I saw you, one of the things I did, uh, probably many people, how many people here went to a graduation in the, in the last two weeks? Any graduation? Not so many, a little bit graduation. I, I, went, uh, I went to one. My grandson graduated from Sonoma State. So uh, 
Uh, there was a very big graduating class, and the graduation was outdoors, so they had several thousand people out there. And uh, what was really exciting to me is uh, we're sitting out in these seats, and from four different ways the graduates come in, because there are so many of them, they can't all come in one door where everybody could fix on the door. So you're looking here and you're looking there because you don't know which side your person is going to come. And as we're standing there, our little clump of people, his mother and his father and his grandmother and his grandfather and his brother, we're all looking and everybody, and everybody around us is looking. And around us there's a chorus of uh, people shouting, there he is, but they're not us. There are other people saying, there he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. And every time someone says, there he is, you think it's your there that's there, you know. Thank you very much. Hey, here came this one. Now this is the right one. <laughs> so this is the first page, and then it continues. And then it continues. All right. Thank you very, very much. I knew you'd get that. Thank you, thank you. And if we get through the first page in our weekly exegesis, that'll be terrific. So save the pages, bring them with you every week. So what I really was thinking about and enjoying so much was that everybody is glad that everybody's graduating, but everybody is super glad that their person is graduating. And that is a preference that's built in there. It's a preference that, that accounts for the fact that the species is still making it. It's really cute. People said, there, there he is, there he is. And you keep looking, and even people said, there she is, and I'm looking, and I'm, and, you know, and, I'm, and I'm waiting for Eric. It's, you know, anybody pointing, you follow it. And then you see him, and then, of course, there's a sea of people, but he looks different from the people because he looks like what you know. And then, they, then in the course of giving out the diplomas, it's like 2,000 diplomas. So a lot of names get called. I don't know if the 2,000 people were there for the diplomas, but a lot. And uh, because you want to hear them call out Eric Daniel Vickman. So, and so you just wait, 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 wait. Ah, there was his name, you know. And that, that, that particularity is, I think, central to noticing how we... The, the tightrope that we walk in our lives, of course we want world peace and for no one to suffer. We really do. Uh, may nobody suffer on my behalf. And may my special person be well. I think it's actually the fact that we have special people. We have special people even if we don't have children. We have special people because we have sisters and we have mothers and fathers and, and friends that we adore. We have people who we really, really adore if our life is rich with love. And through that, we intuit that everybody wants somebody to love. And um, the Buddha said something that early on in, his, in, the, in the accounts of the early life of the Buddha, there's a line that's quite discouraging. He's, at first listen, he says, everything that is dear to us causes pain. So, oh, wow, what does that mean? Uh, maybe I should not make anything dear to me. And it's, it's a one particular uh, uh, interpretation of that. Because once something gets dear to you, you are vulnerable. You know, we have a, we have a rescue dog for, I think, 10 years now. And uh, when he arrived, he snapped, he bit. He, in the meantime, 
he's calmed down, he loves us, he sits on laps, he licks, and all of a sudden, we have it in our mind, you know, he's getting on 15, and we're starting to think about we'll have to miss him, and so whatever you make dear to you, then you have to deal with missing when they're not around anymore. And that peculiar angst of being temporal, everything being temporal, I think the central is the central thing about what uh, is the central dilemma of being a human, that we have foresight and hindsight, and we know when we take on something that it's for as long as it is, and that's all, and that we are making ourselves more and more vulnerable. Somebody here in a class some years ago came back to class after having taken some months off just having had a baby and came back and said, um, everything is wonderful. Everybody carried on. Congratulations and wonderful. And she said, everything is wonderful. She said, I'm delighted. I would not have it any other way. She said, but nobody told me that in having this baby, I was mortgaging my heart forever. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> totally held hostage. By <laughs> That's it. You weren't held hostage before, and you wouldn't give it up for anything. You wouldn't give it up for anything. Uh, it's an amazing thing. So I was thinking about that particularity, and I was thinking of the larger question of that um, uh, faith versus. The, first, first, the faith versus is going to say, in essence, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences, who are not addicted to their preferences, Musang is going to correct it. And he's going to say, the point of that is you could say it's twofold. If we're addicted to our preferences and we have to have it a certain way, then our mind is already in turmoil, it's in pain, because you can't have it. Secondarily, if your mind is in pain, so that the cause of suffering is addiction to preferences, and the end of suffering is being able to say, well... It's not what I wanted, but it's what I've got, which we do every day, many times. We say, well, in small ways, you know. I, you know, I, I wish I didn't have uh, this teeth problem that now has to get fixed, but thank goodness I have the means to fix it. This is what I want, but I'll do it. Or, all right, there's a detour and I'm going to be late for getting to Spirit Rock, but okay, I'll do it. How do we accommodate all the disappointments without being confused by them. So you can understand that it makes life suffering in the minute, but also for me, I think it has the wider implications of every time the mind uh, gives in to a preference and knots itself up, it clouds itself, and then we don't so seek so clearly. And then we forget about the ubiquitous nature of suffering and that everybody's trying as hard as they can and that love is the only answer and compassion is the only remedy for suffering. I mean, those are really the bottom line of, of, of the whole canon, of every religious canon, really. That it's all, and it, it, in, I, I think that we could say that, we could say that same thing in a, in a, from a Catholic liturgy or a Jewish liturgy or a Presbyterian liturgy. Everybody knows that uh, by love and love alone is is the way. And when we get confused, we forget. So the idea of having a practice which in the moment doesn't cause suffering and in the ongoing 
doesn't cause ignorance, doesn't cloud the mind and create ignorance. So it's how to keep the mind at ease in order to uh, cultivate ongoing clarity in order to cultivate ongoing wisdom. You know what I thought about this week? It's a weird thing. I, 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 I wrote a whole lesson plan that started over here. And then, and went several pages, then I, I found something that I wanted to talk about, so it said start here, and I made, you know, like a, a prequel to Star Wars. So I'll, I'll, I'll have to tell you that prequel. I don't have to, but I want to. And then, under that, it says, no, start here. Because two prequels. And then yesterday, I got something, two more things in the mail that are two more prequels. So who knows if we'll get even up to the substance of what I was going to say. But the, the no start here started because I, I went to see something on TV. I can't remember what it was that I wanted to see. But anyway, in the course of seeing whatever it was, Oh, the bicycle, the Tour de California was happening this week. So I, wa I watched a lot of bicycle racing. So I watched a lot of ads in the bicycle racing. And I watched the ads, and particularly the ads for pharmaceuticals. And I'm sure you've noticed that there's a variety of ads on TV where they say, do you have da-da-da-da, whatever it is, rheumatoid arthritis or something. And then it says, Here's, in the meantime, in the background is here is this person in some way frolicking through their life <laughs> with their grandchildren, bouncing them up and down, bending in their garden, planting, doing something that you intuit they couldn't do before they took this medicine. And then somewhere in the, in the text, you, you know what's coming next. It will say in a, at an accelerated pace, the, the, the speed of the speech picks up, it says, a variety of complex side effects, including death, have, <laughs> have been associated with the use of this product. You know, including death have been associated with the use of this product. In the meantime, in the background, as you're hearing that, here is this noted golfer, I forgot who it was, who has taken these 15 beautiful children. It's, it's planned so beautiful. Children are beautiful. They're like, they look like 11-year-olds. They're big enough to have a golf club and, and learn to swing it. They've been chosen so that they're boys and girls and diverse ethnicities, so you really admire all of that. And here's this renowned golfer showing them how to do a golf swing. So everything is beautiful. The golfer mentoring, the group is, is both genders, every color, and everything is wonderful about it, except that the product has a possible side effect of death. So, and they, and there's, been, there's been a lot of now uh, uh, serious research on what people remember about the ads. And apparently at the moment that people see those ads, they do get it that the side effect is possibly death and you should discuss with your doctor the efficacy of using this. I mean, the side of possible, uh, aspirin has a possible side effect of death, but um, very, 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 very few people have such a terrible allergy to salicylates. But, so uh, you should definitely check. But they, they, people, just after they'd seen the ads, they remembered that they had this potential danger. 
But as a little time goes by and you ask them about the ad, all they remember is the, the nice part about the music and the frolicking and the golf clubs and the children, and especially the ads of a, you know, a mature couple walking at the, along the seashore, <laughs> wading in the water as the sun is setting and looking at each other with meaningful, provocative looks, <laughs> you know, and subtle kinds of conversation. And, and then it says about you could die from that. <laughs> And so I'm just saying, I don't have a view that we shouldn't have ads or we shouldn't have drugs or people shouldn't take drugs. It's not about that. But it's about how do you keep your mind clear so that you could make really an informed opinion about things. I thought to myself, this is really important. Um, I, uh, so I, I had made this side thing, I, um, the prequel to the prequel, was this, no, start here and say, to begin with, it's incredibly easy to become confused. That's, I really thought, if I ever wrote another book, I would call it, it's incre- that's not a bad name for a book. It's incredibly easy to become confused. We get seduced by pleasure, and we're addicted to pleasure. We see pictures of people eating amazing, beautiful things, big, big whatever it is, but probably too much and probably not the best healthy or whatever. But they look like they're having such a good time. and We really get seduced to the pleasure aspect. We really grok that these people are having a fun time. I'd like to do that too. And not recognizing the seduction and saying, you know what, I'll skip this one. I I really don't want to do that. It really requires clarity of mind, or it requires the clarity to say, you know, I really got seduced by that. You know, maybe I want to think twice. I've, I've been telling more and more people that my principal pra- spiritual practice these days is T-I-O, thinking it over. Because it's the thinking it over that, you know, there are a lot of things that I do that, you know, you could think, well, is this good, not good? But if I think it over, I'll, I'll, I'll make at least an informed choice with the most... Anyway, before that, oh, <laughs> I talked a little bit about that we were going to study um, this, uh, uh, the Eightfold Path. Actually, what I'd like to do in the next X many times that I'm here is study the path. The book that uh, you might want to look at, Trust in Mind by Musang, is a line-by-line exegesis of the faith verses of the Third Zen Patriarch. So it, it's the history of the faith verses and who else wrote translations. So there's a lot of stuff in there. You don't have to get the book. But, uh, but I tell you about it because I think it's good and I've been enjoying it. Take the line, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And then he talks at some length about what that, that, that means, about not addicted to preferences. And it's the addiction to the preference that causes the mind to grab for something or push away something that confuses the mind. And if I have in mind that my goal is not to be confused, try not to be confused, or to try not to confuse myself, or to try not to, or to try to recognize that I've become confused soon. Uh, This is a good time for me to remind you about our... um, our writing project. So this is more prequels to the prequel.
How many people do not know about the writing project? That's a lot of people, so I'll tell you quickly. Some months ago, like two months ago, we talked about the fact that I really like to teach in terms of stories, that I was writing with this, uh, with Mohammed from Santa Barbara to LAX. And then I remember really what is, uh, for me, very important wisdom that we all of us come into this uh, way too complicated life without swimming instructions. And someone has to teach us how to swim. Uh, so that we don't drown in the challenges, uh, and that swimming is possible, and that I can tell that story and remember it for myself as being very potent dharma. Life is confusing and challenging, uh, but there is a path, which is the third noble truth, fourth noble truth. There's a path. The third noble, the second is we make things worse if we're not careful, and uh, cling to our preferences. The third is that uh, there is a pa- there is peace is possible. Here's Mohammed. Mm. Peace is possible for us, for regular people in a regular life, and that there's a path to it. And all the things that we do here, here and home, and as as part of I, all the things that I do that I would say that this is part of my spiritual life, which I like to tell you, I hope is part of my whole life, is trying to keep my mind unconfused. It's terribly easy to become confused, and I'm trying to stay unconfused on behalf of my own comfort, on behalf of other people's comfort, on behalf of my not having to feel chagrin or guilt because I've made a mess for somebody else, and on behalf of keeping my mind clear so I'll make good decisions. Really, that, that's, what I, what, that's what it's about. And you could say, well, the Eightfold Path cultivates all of that. So we'll talk about that. The Eightfold Path is the path. But in Buddhism, we talk about the whole path, dedication to the path, faith in the path, um, uh, diligence in working with it. It's like people go to 12-step. We go to 8-step. which <laughs> We do. Uh, which includes 12-step, really. There isn't any... There is a Buddhist 12-step. Huh? There is a Buddhist 12-step, too, which is very effective, <laughs> specifically for substances or for activities. I think in the whole life that those same restraints or considerations are, are, are centrally important. And the thinking it over with the commitment to keep ease in the mind. So I think most, many of the stories that I tell have to do with that. And somebody said, you know, you meet such interesting people. And I said, no, no, we all meet interesting people. And things happen to all of us. And people told stories from their own life. I was here, I was there, this happened, that happened. And I invited people to send me, email a story, tell me a story. I have about 10 of them now. I I thought I'd have more, but really I'm hoping to inspire you. Uh, Because we have enough of them, I think I'll put them together as an anthology. And I'll write 10 stories and put them in, and you'll write 20 stories maybe. But you only have to send me one. Two if you want. My email is sylviaborstein at gmail.com. And uh, Sue in in, um, Pasadena said, Apropos of what I was just saying, 
sent me this story. She said, here's my story, and it came yesterday. This is my Dharma story. And she also said, wrote me another email, said, you can, I wrote back, said, I love it. Can I read it in class? Will you give me permission? And she said, absolutely. I said, use your name? She said, use my name. So this is Sue Avila, age 70, Pasadena. My grandson Huxley, age seven, loves to scooter around our condo complex. It's gated with lots of paths, and many of them end in communal driveways. This makes my husband very nervous. So he decreed one of us needs to be out with Huxley when he rides. The first time I refused to go, having decided that an agile seven-year-old was capable of going by himself, my husband insisted on going out after him. He came back after a few minutes. He said he couldn't find Huxley anywhere. So I went out to look. When I couldn't find him either, I panicked because I know Huxley is adept on the scooter and jumps right up after a spill, so probably he wasn't lying anywhere injured. I could only think that someone had pulled him into a car and driven away with him. I got, that's really, you know, it's so fascinating to me. There's a million reasons Huxley's hiding behind a tree, something, you know, but that's the only possible thing that can happen. Think about how many times I've thought things like that. Only possible thing is that Huxley has been pulled into a car and taken away. I got more and more agitated as I walked back to our place. And then at one place point, I remembered what Breen Brown, who I don't know who it is, but a sage person, suggests that we ask ourselves when we start getting upset, do I have enough information to freak out? <laughs> I really love that line. I thought that would be a good title for a book. Do I have enough information to freak out? I realized I didn't. Uh, but as soon as the thought came, I rejected it totally, since this time there was no other possible explanation. <laughs> I spiraled into panic and fear. Of course, Huxley was there when I got back, and I couldn't, under and couldn't understand all the fuss. Afterward, when I thought about the situation, I realized I had experienced a brief awareness of the possibility of wise thought, that momentary awakening reminded me of what the Buddha said, that it takes one drop at a time to fill a water jar. That flash of awareness, even though I rejected it, was one drop toward filling my water jar. So that's all it is. I read it to you, first of all, because I enjoyed it a lot, because I, I liked very much the line about, do I have enough information to freak out? That's a very healthy line for me to think about. Um, anybody else find that a useful line? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, anyway, so there it is. Useful Dharma for daily life is what I'd like to do, because many of the Dharma stories that have become over the years venerable Dharma stories, they're wonderful, but they're from two millennia ago. I want to tell Dharma stories of what happened in condos with grandparents with children on scooters. Now, that's the kind of, with this sage advice, do I have enough information to freak out? I was thinking about sometimes you have enough information. Sometimes very little information is enough to freak out. Or maybe freaking out is the wrong word altogether. Maybe very little information but alarming information is enough to not freak out but to call for all possible help. Freaking out never is helpful. Yeah. Do you have an idea about when you like these to be 
No, soon. <laughs> the reason because I don't. I, the, if I do it, I if enough stories come in, uh, I'll ret- I retain the right to edit them, shorten them, fix them one way or another. You give up any right to them. You don't get paid for them, but uh, you get your name. You get to say you're a Sue Avila, seventy from Pasadena or wherever. And we write a book together, and I'll write stories too. And I do have a publisher who's kind of interested in this kind of book from people. So seriously, do it. And I'll collect them, and maybe in a year we'll have enough to work. It won't come out immediately, but what are we going to ask? Uh, my dad uh, studied with you many, many years ago when he lived here, and I'd love to tell him about it, and he lives in Reno, and I have another friend who adores you who lives in Massachusetts. So if there were a timeline on it, and they're all major IMS or... or Tell them to write. There, there is no... Then two months. No, there is no... There is no t- let's say the rest of this year. Okay. But the sooner the better, because it'll inspire me. And it's not just us here, because we have the whole world listening on tape here. So uh, I would love it if I got a a story from Australia tomorrow, or Sri Lanka, or Finland, or where. Anyway, there you go. That's the Dharma for the day. But I wanted to read it to you also about the do I have enough information to freak out. It's such a good uh, reminder about keeping the mind clear so you can behave, respond wisely. Now we have... Now we have almost come to where... Ah, I was waving that paper around. Just a minute. To the first thing that I was going to say. There it is. Here it is. I was going to begin by talking about... Talking about the, the... Two classes on the Eightfold Path, which is what we're going to do. And I was going to start, which I'm happy to say I did, uh, with that uh, uh, meditation from Ajahn Amaro. It's really from Ajahn Amaro. Let the mind and body assume the natural peace and ease that is the natural peace of the mind and body, and let it stay that way. Only be attentive to whatever arises to disturb the peace. So that... That's why if Ace is thinking about, he's about to go to New York, I know, and he's planning it, and he's planning it happily, and his mind is peaceful and easy, let's sit in a quiet room and plan. It's not, not a problematic. It's just what allows your li- mind to stay lively and alert and not so absorbed that it's not tuned into other people, but not any particular way except peaceful and... Uh, cheerful, happy. Happy is a strange word. Peaceful, peaceful and content, peaceful and upbeat. Uh, let's talk next week about what, which word we like, content or upbeat or warm-hearted or good-hearted. Because um, all those different words, um, I, I, my mind can be all often peaceful and content without feeling jolly. You know, so is that that's a that's a particular kind of happiness, where where something actually disturbing is happening in my life, and my mind is peaceful and content. 
uh, and it's not a jolly scene. But I'm, it's content that this is just what's happening and it can't be other. So I'm not struggling with it. There's a story that um, Ajahn Chah used to say, something like, let your mind become like a still forest pool. If it's a still forest pool, then all the ripples will um, uh, diminish and it'll be absolutely clear to look into and all wondrous things will be there and all manner of animals will come and look at all the wondrous things in the still forest pool. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of what our minds can be. All manner of things come, all manner of things can be seen, but they get seen in the clarity that does not distort what's outside or what's inside. It's just what is. And I was thinking about that bringing us back to the point of um, really the third noble truth, that the, the, the peace is possible. Um, Pandita used to say, peace is possible in this very life, in this very body, in this very situation. And you think about situations that people could be in that are really desperate or difficult or... Um, somebody talked this morning about a friend of theirs um, now having to accommodate um, to no longer being strong enough to use a walker and now using a wheelchair. And I thought, how will I do that when it's my time? I, you know, I, I hope, gracefully, I hope, you know, that the... the uh, I think about all the runners-up to that particular particular move, like discovering um, discovering that you can't bike up the same hill that you used to bike up mm -hmm. without stopping three-quarters of the way up and pushing the bike. You think, that's funny. Last year, I biked all the way to the top of this hill. What happened this year? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> 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 discovering that I've gotten so much shorter <laughs> that I can't reach the clothes in the bottom of the washing machine <laughs> to get them out. <laughs> I just bought that washing machine four years ago when I could get the clothes out of it. But you can't do certain things anymore. The body changes. <laughs> you know? Um, and to be able to tell that to, to everybody and say, you know, that's it. And everybody say, yep, happening to me too, the same thing. Uh, go through the airline terminal pulling your suitcase, thinking, boy, I'm really clicking along at a good pace here. They see everybody zooming by. <laughs> I think, well, all right. And the point being that the peace of mind that is that peace of mind is peace of mind that doesn't come from having arm-wrestled the mind to the ground. It's peace of mind that really comes from wisdom. And it's the wisdom to say, things are what they are because of everything. Things I can't reach the clothes in the washing machine because I got old and I got short. And I can't bicycle to the top of the hill because my muscles don't fire the same way that they did five years ago. 
and that I can't have people zooming by me in the terminal because they have more zoom in their <laughs> in their body than I do, and you know, just just to notice it and say, hmm, look at that. This is what happens when you're old. Look at that. Um, can I can I not? I hope that not like an, a lament, but just like a huh. Uh, this is how things are. This is what things are, and it's how they are, and everything is changing. What were you going to say? I was going to say that given that aging is the perfect Dharma lesson, yeah. could we not consider compiling stories about that as well? Absolutely aging perfect, because it's a perfect thing of the, of the Buddha saying, old age, sickness, and death, but uh, but really, it means that the that the aging thing uh, is is part of old age. It's what's lead up. It's the lead up to the death. It could be the central issue. And uh, stories about aging and um, wise aging. First of all, there are lots of books around about wise aging now. But uh, uh, I think we could tell it in a Dharma voice, a wise aging. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just something about it. Somebody said, you know, I, I, I knew I was going to get old, but I didn't think so fast. <laughs> and when you think about it, it's so strange because compared to what? You know, what? Yeah, and, you know, I think it's because when, I don't know, when I was young, when I had a birthday, the day after my birthday, I was always very disappointed because I knew it was going to be a million years until my next birthday. And now my next birthday is going to be the day after tomorrow. You know, it's like, just Zoom. That's, um... I think it's actually the truth that the peace of mind, where, I, where I'd maybe like to leave it if we run out of time, which we are, is um, just the idea that in those Four Noble Truths, the Buddha has said the monumental thing, that life is challenging, complicated for everybody. That's the nature of it. There is no one who can get away from old age, sickness, and death, from being parted from what's dear to them being parted from their own health and their own agility and their own everything and their own hopes and their own dreams and their own... There's lots of things that you can't do uh, when you get old. There's all these wonderful things that you can start to do, like take the course in... take the course in uh, uh, 19th century American literature that you always wanted to take. You could do that and read those wonderful novels. You can't really take up the trombone, you know, or you can take it up, but probably with not very gratifying results. <laughs> There's a lot, the, the possibilities are less. And it's uh, uh, the disappointment of I can't do that anymore. I remember it around menopause and the disappointment of not being able to have a baby again, even though I didn't want to have a baby again. You know, I, I had four babies. They were already adults. But knowing I can't do that anymore just does something in your mind. It's a thing to think about. I think the important thing, and this would be a sweet place to leave it to, is the ramifications of that idea, peace is possible. 
uh, which is how the third noble truth is usually stated, just that peace is possible, because that's a piece of very good news. And I think that uh, I think that it's the bottom line of all the religious traditions that I know. When uh, I walk into a Catholic service and the priest says, peace be with you, and everyone says, and also with you. And, and services end with go in peace. Uh, Jews say, um, peace be with you, and also with you. The same, the same expression, shalom aleichem, is uh, salam aleichem in, uh, in Arabic. Aleichem uh, salam. Peace be with you, and also with you. I think that somehow everybody knows, everybody who, everybody who knows really knows that the potential of the human mind is peace in every situation, that we can be with people who we are in the middle of losing and do it peacefully, and they can depart peacefully. And we can be with them peacefully knowing that departure is one of the things that happens in this life. The hospice workers all know that. They are excellent about it. And when they come into a place, the people who are there with them, I know there are people here who have experience with hospice workers, as I do as well. When they come in, it's like a ministering angel because they come in with a different vibe. They come in with a vibe that, 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 that that transmits to the people around, this is okay. This is not a mistake. Nothing has to happen, you know. It's okay. This is just what's happening. And people get it from them. And the people who can do that become hospice nurses and counselors. That's something I have to say. That's not that it's sad. Not sad. It's sad. But it's okay. It's okay. And it's... Um, Oh. I, mean, I think I'll start from that next week. I don't want to leave it at, at, with a caveat on that. It's okay. What I was going to say is sometimes it's, those kinds of situations are more tragic than others, and it's not okay for a while. You know, that our minds are so, and hearts are so vulnerable. It's not okay right away, but it, it, it takes a while. But the fact that we have the ability to um, at least mostly get some resilience back in our mind is an amazing part of being a human. What I brought to read you is uh, someone t uh, describing a um, uh, a church, a chapel in uh, in Vence, in the south of France, that Matisse had designed and constructed, um, and the sense of going in there. He said, sitting in there, alone in the back of the church, I felt unusual. I felt an unusual, at least for me combination of serenity and inexplicable joy. Somebody else had said, uh, a, a certain art aficionado, 
had been right, this person says, when he said after his first visit to the chapel, it is beautiful. Matisse has invented the religion of joy. But equally, perhaps, the creator of that chapel, I stopped because it said the creator, and I thought, it, well, I wondered whether it meant Matisse or Big C creator. The creator had also achieved his wish that all who entered his chapel should feel purified and relieved of their burdens. And the whole reason I wanted to bring you this is I loved that line. How would it be to feel purified and relieved of your burdens? Like you could just take your mind and put it down and, and just spend the evening looking out the window and enjoying the sunset. Purified and relieved of your burdens. It seemed to me such a significant sentence. Like it takes into consideration that everybody is burdened with one thing or another. And when we're not, it's such a spectacular gift. And I like to think that maybe what we're doing with practice, I'm trying to decide if I want to say this because maybe it sounds like not enough uh, determination. I don't know if I think I, would, I, I could live consistently in that kind of a state of grace. I don't know about that. But I would, I would be really happy to live a lot in that state of grace, <laughs> or often, or frequently, or pretty frequently, or at least a little bit. How about you? Purified and relieved of their burdens, magically. If someone gave you a tonic, Instead, if you drink this tonic water, you're going to be, wouldn't you take it? So, listen, thank you very much. I'm glad you have all the verses. I gave you all the homeworks. Read the first verse, the first page of it. Read just the first two paragraphs and think about it. Write me a story. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it being whatever literary. Tell somebody will be nice to you somewhere. And you'll realize it's a piece of dharma. Or you'll get confused about something, and then you'll become unconfused, and you'll realize that's a dharma story. Every time that I lose my... Every time that I become a little bit annoyed with one of my family members about X or Y, and I begin to think, they shouldn't have been saying that, doing that, whatever it is. After a while... I realized two things. First of all, I realized that I am uh, churning up discontent in the neighborhood of my mind and making myself discontented. And I also realized that they're just being themselves. That's how they are, you know? And my churning is not going to change them in any particular way. So it's fruitless and it's debilitating. And I think that, I think, you know, let's think about the 50 billion other things that they do terrific. And besides, they're a 17-year-old kid. What do they know? You know, whatever. You think of something else, and all of a sudden, you are purified and relieved of your burdens. And the, st the line that I think is the key line for all of those kinds of stories is, was blind, but now I see all. And it's an amazing grace, indeed, that we can do that. 
So if you will write me a story of every time you get confused and annoyed and unconfused, like uh, Anne in Pasadena. And I'll see you next week. Bring a story if you want, but mail it to me through the email also. Do it, do it. It'll be good. It'll be fun. The more people do it, and we'll teach each other, and we'll teach people that that's a way to do it. There comes Sarah, who maybe wants to say something. Sarah's running along to say something.